When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. Glad to have you joining us. I am Mitch Album, the host of the program, also author of the book Tuesdays with Maury, upon which this podcast is based. Lisa Goich, my friend and producer of the program, is alongside, as always. Hi, Lisa. Hello, Mitch. We were talking just before today's show, and this isn't the the theme of today's show, but we were talking, uh, w- when we're recording this podcast now, this is in the immediate aftermath of an incident that took place on a movie set where the actor Alec Baldwin was using a prop and uh, the prop discharged and clearly unintentionally and accidentally uh, killed the uh, DP, uh, the director of photography, and injured the director uh, mm. without getting into all the details of how that happens or uh, whose fault it is or anything, which is for news programs, not this. But what we were talking about was how quickly on any given moment your life can just change from you're just doing your job or you're just going along with your day and then an inadvertent event happens and suddenly you are responsible for the most tragic thing that you can think of taking another person's life, even if Ugh. it wasn't your fault or anything like that. This would happen in cars all the time, you know, where suddenly somebody cuts yeah. you off, you, you veer yeah. to avoid uh, hitting the person who cut you off and you hit somebody else and they die. And you say, it wasn't Ugh, my fault. God. Wasn't, you know, and yet you, you, you have that suddenly on your brain on your heart, and it's never going away. Never. That will affect somebody for the rest of their life. Like, I can't even... That's the very first thing that stuck in my mind yesterday when I read the story. I mean, you know, aside, of course, from the tragic death, and she was a mother, and I think she has a son, and uh, she's married, and, you know, all of that part of the tragedy. But to be the one to have to live with something that was completely an accident, like, wow, how do you do that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. Um, I'm not sure how to like separate. Uh, you know, I wonder if, you know, you just have to learn over time to be able to say it was it was my hand, but it was not my conscience. It was not my heart. It was nothing right. that I did intentionally to hurt this person. Um but I don't even know how you do that. I can't. I, I, uh, my heart just goes out to him and to her family and everybody and all the people who had to witness it who never yeah. would have expected that. Imagine yeah. all the people on that set that had to see that happen. Yeah. It's just, wow, you're right, Mitch. And one, be, be, be one moment, everything in your life can change. Uh, right. And uh, we've talked about that before on the show for sure. Um, right. About, 
you know, how quickly things in life can change. But this certainly is one of those examples. And yeah. just God bless all of them. Ah, well, this kind of just, thing happens. You know, this is high profile because it's a movie. Uh, and everything is disproportionate in America when it comes to movies and actors and movie stars. But this really does happen, per, as the proverbial expression goes, every day in some yeah. way, shape, or form. Someone, an industrial yeah. accident, uh, someone... I, I remember one time um, I was working at a summer job, and it I was working with the maintenance crew, and there was a uh, it was like a forklift, basically, kind of thing. That, that but but it it pushed somebody up into the rafters so that you could you could uh, clean the lights, you know, way up high oh, yeah. the the fluorescent lights. So I was in charge of driving the thing, and uh, and there was someone up in the I don't know what you call it the 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 uh, the, the cart, so to speak, mm-hmm. up there doing the thing. And he said, "All right, well, let's go." And I I hit. I hit a brake or or something, you know, and it kind of we moved, but it swung the cart him oh. into a um a vent and oh he God. was kind of pinned between the vent and the cart and he was screaming, "Hey, hey, hey you know like that." And I immediately, oh, you know, undid goodness. the thing, but he came down and uh you know, he had been cut, you know, by this not not cut like in, you know, terrible bleeding, but but cut. He had to he had right. to go to the uh you know, uh, the doctor and gets stitched up or whatever. And, I, you know, it took me a long time to get that moment out of my head, even wow, though that must it was scary. a malfunction of the equipment and all that kind of stuff. But you hear somebody screaming and you realize that you are responsible, even if you not are not responsible. As you said, it's your hand, but it's not your yeah. intent. And it stays yep. with you a long time. There's no question about it. Uh, not as yep. long as when as it, as it probably would or should, if it was your intent. If you had intent yeah. to harm somebody and you harmed somebody, and then you started to feel bad about it afterwards, you you can't so easily dismiss it as saying, "Well, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. It wasn't your fault. It was you intended to do it, and that's something for which you need to ask forgiveness and seek forgiveness for the rest of your life." But this, I'm sure, will weigh on on not just Alec Baldwin, who's well known, and so everybody starts focusing. What about the person who loaded that? I think it was a fake yeah. gun or a pistol. Fake yeah, pistol a was a western. Gun. Yeah, yeah. But what about had, the person who a... oversaw that? What about the director who got injured, but yeah. still, you know, called for it? He's kind of the person in charge of the whole operation, right? Who's supposed yeah. to oversee that? There are a lot of people who probably feel they had an inadvertent hand in that. Yeah. The weird thing was, I mean, this is that there was, a, according today, I read the union um, submitted, a, you know, put out a letter. Right. Uh, there was a live round in there. Like, how does that happen? Mm. You know, so someone's going to have to um, answer to that and uh, live with that, you know. Um, so. Well, by the time the podcast is is aired, um, perhaps they'll know more well, about it. But yeah, it's just something know that, we more were, about that we were thinking about. So. Not the theme of today's uh, program, however. Today, I, I want to talk about, um, and today and next week, I, I have a, a a new book coming out on November 2nd. And while it is not Tuesdays with Maury Part 2, uh, a lot of the ideas that are in this book, which is called The Stranger in the Lifeboat, which is a novel, 
uh, came from my time with Maury and some of the things that I have thought about ever since I sat alongside him while he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. And we did our last class together. So I'm going to pick a couple lessons from this book and, and relate them to that and, and talk about them. And I'm going to share with you a little bit uh, of the book here as well to sort of set the stage for how these lessons came about and what I was trying to get across in The Stranger in the Lifeboat. Uh, even the idea of the title, The Stranger in the Lifeboat, which I didn't pick accidentally, uh, I thought along about it. So in my mind, we're all kind of in a lifeboat in our own lives, right? We're floating yep. on this earth or on the water, uh, and we are trying to make sure that what we have in our lifeboat is what we need to survive. Now, when you're in a real lifeboat, it's food, it's water, it's shelter, it's a way to keep afloat. When you're out in real life, it's what? Food and water and shelter and a way to keep afloat, just afloat differently, you know, like a job or finances or uh, love or support or a community, but these are all mm -hmm. things that, you know, you sort of want in your lifeboat as we navigate the world. And all of our lifeboats can be tipped over at any given moment, right? A, a devastating yep. event, a wave, you know, a devastating wave of our lives comes along and tips us over into the water, and now we're flailing around. That can be, you know, a loss of a job, a, a tragic loss of a, of a loved one, um, you know, a, a circumstance, a, a natural disaster, and suddenly you're upended, you're flailing, you're in the water, you've lost everything. What about the people in the earthquake after Haiti? You know, that, mm -hmm. that was their wave, and, and their lifeboat was upended, and suddenly they're out on the ground sleeping in the dirt because the, the, the meager home that they had is destroyed. So I've been yeah. very aware of that, particularly with my work in Haiti at the orphanage, how quickly you can go from having even little to having nothing. Uh, and then what do you do? What do you do? Yep. You seek help, right? You mm -hmm. crawl out for help. If you are religious, a faithful person, you ask God for help. You ask the universe for help. You ask your community for help. So I set up a scenario in this book, The Stranger in the Lifeboat, where 10 people are stranded in a lifeboat after an explosion on a luxury yacht mm -hmm. kills everybody aboard except these 10 people. And this was one of those luxury yachts like uh, owned by one of the richest people in the world. And all the guests aboard it were the, the, the movers and shakers of the world. It was like a, a Davos Switzerland event, you know, where they have all the, 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 the most famous business people, politicians, uh, entertainment people, whatever, and they all come together and hobnob and talk about how they're going to save the world. Well, this was yeah. that kind of event. And then there's this explosion and all these really powerful people and everything, they're killed and 10 people make it to the life raft, half of whom are guests uh, of the luxury yacht, rich people themselves, movers and shakers, including the guy who owned it. And the other half were the people who work, the deckhands, the uh, cooks, uh, the hair cutters, uh, people like that. And they fill this lifeboat. And they're out in the water for several days, and nobody comes for them. 
There's no help. There's no helicopters. There's no planes. There's no boats. And they're facing the realization that no help is going to come. And they're on their own out in the middle of the great wide Atlantic Ocean. Mm -hmm. And that's where the book sort of begins. You don't know that. I'm going to share with you from the first pages a little bit of the scenario and the premise. And by the last line of this, you'll understand where I'm going with it. So this is how the book begins. When we pulled him from the water, he didn't have a scratch on him. That's the first thing I noticed. The rest of us were all gashes and bruises, but he was unmarked, with smooth almond skin and thick dark hair matted by seawater. He was bare-chested, not particularly muscular, maybe 20 years old, and his eyes were pale blue, the color you imagine the ocean to be when you dream of a tropical vacation not the endless gray waves that surround this crowded lifeboat, waiting for us like an open grave. Forgive me for such despair, my love. It's been three days since the galaxy sank. No one has come looking for us. I try to stay positive, to believe rescue is near, but we are short on food and water. Sharks have been spotted. I see surrender in the eyes of many on board. The words, we're going to die, have been uttered too many times. For now, let me tell you about pulling the young stranger from the sea. He wore no life jacket, nor was he holding on to anything when we spotted him bobbing in the waves. We let him catch his breath, and from our various perches in the boat, we introduced ourselves. Lambert, the boss, spoke first, saying, Jason Lambert, I own the galaxy. Then came Nevin, the tall Brit, who apologized he could not rise for a proper welcome, having gashed his leg trying to escape the sinking vessel. Giannis offered a weak handshake. Nina mumbled hi. Mrs. Lakari, the woman from India, said nothing. She didn't seem to trust the newcomer. Jean-Philippe, the Haitian cook, smiled in welcome and said, Welcome, brother, but kept a palm on the shoulder of his sleeping wife, Bernadette, who was wounded from the explosion. Badly wounded, I believe. The little girl we call Alice, who hasn't spoken since we found her clinging to a deck chair in the ocean, remained silent. I went last. Benji, I said. My name is Benji. For some reason, my voice caught in my throat. We waited for the stranger to respond, but he just looked at us, doe-eyed. Lambert said he's probably in shock. Nevin yelled, How long were you in the water? Perhaps thinking a raised voice would snap him to his senses. When he didn't answer, Nina touched his shoulder and said, Well, thank the Lord we found you. Which is when the man finally spoke. I am the Lord, he whispered. Mm. Now that premise launches into Mm. the whole rest of the book about the idea that what if we, in our darkest hour, called out for help and said, God, please save us. Universe, please save us. Whoever you pray to or believe in or think is out there as a bigger force than us, save us. And suddenly, someone showed up and said, here I am. And this is what happens to these castaways who encounter the stranger who says, I am the Lord. And as the time goes on, they start saying to him, well, wait a minute, you're the Lord, 
what are you doing here? And he says, well, haven't you been calling me? And they look at one another mm. realizing, well, yeah, they kind of mm. have been calling him. And so they say, so are you here to save us? And he says, I can only save you if everybody in this boat believes I am who I say I am at the same time. And they all look at one another and realize that there are a lot of people on the boat that don't believe in this idea. And there are a lot of people on the boat who do. And uh, as one of the passengers, who's kind of the practical person on the boat, says, well, buddy, you let us know when that happens. Until then, we better mm -hmm. adjust our food rations, you know. We'll be back with more Tuesday People right after this message. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The premise is something that I'm asking our listeners to sort of think about. How many times in life have you sort of called out for help? You get a bad diagnosis from a doctor. You or somebody you love is about to lose their job. Or you think you're going to go in and you're going to get fired or get expelled from your home or something terrible is about to happen. Uh, there's an accident like what just happened we were talking about at the movie set. And you reach out to a higher power and you just say, please, 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 please make this better. Please do something. Please help me, please. We've all done that, right? All yep. but the most cynical uh, of us yep. have done that in some moment, in some shape or form, right? You remember doing it in uh, your life at some point, Lisa? Are you kidding? I think I just did it about three days ago. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I, okay. I was... Uh, facing a quite a crisis and I uh, I called to everybody everybody who could listen and know. did you get an answer uh not yet okay. I'm waiting okay I'm waiting so so this is you're helping to prove my point mm -hmm. so when we call out for things when we ask for help very rarely do we get the answer right then and there for example, ah, you know, uh -huh. for example, uh, the doctor is, uh, you know, just gave us a, a, a bad prognosis. Please, Lord, please, Lord, you know, change this, make this, make this, you know, survivable, make it different than what we're hearing. You don't usually say that. And then the phone rings and it's a doctor saying, I'm sorry, I got the reports mixed up. You're perfectly fine. Right. right? It doesn't happen like that. Uh, the people on this movie set, you know, please make undo this. You know, it, it's not going to happen. That shot is not going to go back into that pistol. And so it can feel like immediately you're not getting answers. You're not getting responses. That's because the universe, faith, God, whatever you want to call it, 
does not work on our timetable. And yet, that makes, yeah, that makes And sense, yet, like the way. Rolling Stones once sang, you can't always get what you want, but if you try, you might find you get what you need. Mm-hmm. Now think about how many times in your life that you thought something was going to be really bad. Oh, uh-huh. And later you found out, you know, it turned out, now that we're looking back on it a year later, now that we're looking back on it five years later, if that hadn't happened, then this never would have happened, which turned out mm-hmm. to be a great thing. Or if that hadn't happened, this door wouldn't have opened, and I never would have had this, which I've enjoyed. And you end up saying sentences like, it turned out that was maybe the best thing that could have happened to me. How many times have we said that in our life? Yep. Multiple, right? I'm yep, not saying it happens every time, but a lot. Well, I yeah, can think, it's you. Mm-hmm. I, I can think you, of an you, example pertinent to our show pertinent to our podcast. When I saw Maury on the Nightline program for the first time, I would like to tell you that I thought, oh, this is going to be an opportunity for me to spend time with a man that I love, learn important lessons, grow as a human being, give something back to him, have it turn around a life that is really very selfish right now. This is going to be a wonderful opportunity. I didn't say anything of the kind. When I saw Maury on Mm -hmm. Nightline, all I felt, Lisa, was guilt and a burden. Mm -hmm. Guilt that I had not stayed in touch with him and a burden like, uh, I need to, I can't ignore this now. I can't unsee what I just said, saw. It was part of me that wished that I never had watched the program or something. But now I needed to do something about it. Now I needed to do something uncomfortable, which was contact him and sort of explain to myself or to him why I hadn't been in contact with him up till then, right? So at that moment, it didn't feel like a great thing. It felt like a burden. If you had asked me right then and there, do you want to undo this moment? I would have said, yeah, let's undo this moment. Let me go back to just being ambitious and career oriented and 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 thinking only about me and my accomplishments and what I want to do and, and my next paycheck and how I can climb up in the industry. Let me just go back to that. I was fine with that. I was doing fine. Instead, I had to make the phone call to Maury, which we've spoken about. Right, right. And he kind of guilted me when he said to me, how come you didn't call me coach? And I said, uh, so he does remember me and he does... He wants to see me, and I, I have to go now because yeah. I haven't gone in 16 years. I have to go. But again, I'm just being honest. Uh, when I was on that plane going, it wasn't like I wanted to go. It was more that I felt that I had to go. It was a burden. It was an obligation. And when I arrived at his house and I saw him for the first time in that wheelchair, I wasn't like, oh, Maury, thank God I've been reunited with you and thank God we're right. going to have time to talk. I was like, uh, you know how you get yeah. when you're at a, at a sick person's house and you're young, as I was then, and you yeah. almost don't even like to be around it. It's so alien to you. Everybody in your world is young and healthy and vibrant. And here's an old, decaying man, incapable of walking, needing all this soft food to eat and oxygen machines and it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a blessing. I didn't look at it as like, what a gift. And even when he said to me, come back next Tuesday, there was a feeling like, ah, next Tuesday too? 
I got to come yeah. back again. So all of those emotions at the time were not, wow, you know, what a blessing. They were like, ah, oh, this is not a burden. And if you would ask me to undo it, I would have said, yes, I'll undo it. But now, Lisa, now, yeah. when I yeah. look back on that moment and I say, oh my goodness, if I hadn't been watching that program, if I hadn't picked yeah. up the phone to call him, if I had just said, well, what's done is done, my life would be entirely different. Totally. And we most certainly with, wouldn't be talking to you today, right? No, as would so many other lives be different because of that one decision that you made. It's crazy. So now but, what, is my, what is my verdict on that mm -hmm. moment? My verdict on that moment is God or the universe sent me a message, sent me to the place where I was watching that program, sent me to the phone to make that phone call, pushed me from behind to get on that airplane because it knew that I needed a change in direction. I needed mm -hmm. to stop being just ambitious and thinking about myself. I was in my mid-30s already. Time to grow up on that. And it somehow knew that it was time to do it, and this was going to be the way to do it. So now I look back on that as a godsend. I look back on that moment of watching TV and making that phone call and, 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 and going to visit Maury as nothing less than kind of divine intervention. If you, now, there are many words for that. Fate, destiny, the universe, you, you know, depending on how esoteric you want to get. Many people will just say God had a hand in it. Whatever the, whatever the descriptor. Yeah, yeah. It is the best thing that ended up happening to me that didn't look like the best thing that was happening to me. It helped save yeah. my life. It helped turn my life, but it sure didn't look like it that way. Yeah. You follow? Yep. Blessings in disguise, right? Blessings is that where that term disguise. comes from? Exactly. Mm -hmm. It was a blessing in disguise. It's a very common phrase, and it is uttered all the time. So when these people on this lifeboat are sent this visitor who looks like a surfer boy and, and doesn't, you know, fit the bill of uh, somebody save him. He doesn't have a boat with him. Yeah. He doesn't have a helicopter with him. He doesn't have a phone with him. He's just, he's as helpless as they are. And then he ends yeah. up asking for food, asks for water. He sleeps a lot. And they have thing, okay, what a joke. You know, this guy's obviously he hit his head somewhere. And he, now he thinks he's God. But as the book goes on, and we'll talk more about it next week, but as the book goes on, things start to happen. And things that are kind of inexplicable. And maybe this guy is telling the truth. That's the part of life of like, well, wait a minute. We're so sure that something is not what we expect it to be. That we don't believe in it. And my point is, you have to trust the universe. You have to trust the hand of God. If you believe in God, yeah. you have to trust that all of those forces are playing the long game in life, not the yeah. short game. And a certain amount of time has to pass before you can realize the blessing that might be in your lifeboat with you right now. Yep. Hmm, that's deep, Mitch. That's deep. Fortunately, the book is, is not deep. deep. It's no. only a, a, me, a meager uh, 250 or 60 pages long. Th 
and yeah, small. Yeah, but those are good books. Those yeah. are good books. That's what people need these days. Yeah, they finish, that, they people finish like, quickly. Like a sweet read, you know, just sit down, read it, and ingest finish. it, and finish. Yes, well, you can do That's that. That's exciting, Mitch. The Stranger in the Lifeboat will be published uh, one week from today, When you, if you're listening to this on Tuesday. It'll be published on a Tuesday, how appropriate, November 2nd. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, November 2nd. You can ah, pre-order so it now if you, if you like. It's out there right now. And next week, I'm going to share some more of the lessons that were learned on this lifeboat and how they pertain to Maury's experience and my experience with him. And hopefully, you'll be able to join us for that. If you like yeah. what you heard on today's program, you can always go to our website at wetuesdaypeople.com, wetuesdaypeople.com. And you can find out previous shows and discussion groups and more about our podcast right there and yeah. i'm sure that uh, if they're up on it they'll have some kind of link for the stranger in the lifeboat on there as well uh, oh definitely I, yes we're yeah, always it's on not, top it'll of be that on our cyber. site oh yeah it'll be on the group page it's going to be on all your pages it's everywhere it's everywhere all right uh we enjoyed speaking with you today until we get a chance to do it again on behalf of lisa goich my friend and producer i'm mitch album saying see you next tuesday thank you for listening to tuesday people to be part of our conversation join the tuesday people community at wetuesdaypeople.com subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends we look forward to having you with us every tuesday because after all we're tuesday people